welcome to the Taney Love Church Podcast. Our desire is to gather, train, and send those who are called to the kingdom. We hope this message inspires, uplifts, and equips you to fulfill the call that God has placed in your life. Thanks again. God bless. So we've been on this Christmas series for the last month. I had Becky share, Ben share, Elijah Morales share, and when I was praying and seeking the Lord on, I don't know if it was what Christmas means to me or what I wanted to share, or what aspect of this should I share, um, this one thing continued to come up in my heart and I wanted to share it with you. Thank you for the tea, Ben. So I'm going to ask some questions. Kids, you guys can answer too. What do we celebrate during Christmas? God. God. Okay, that's a good, that's always the right answer in church. <laughs> You'll never go wrong saying that. What specifically do we celebrate at Christmas time? Someone just shout it out. You don't have to raise your hand. The birth of Jesus Christ. I heard someone say it. That is the reason we celebrate Christmas. Now, you will have lots of theologians that will say, well, Christmas wasn't actually born December 25th. And I always say, I always say, have you ever celebrated your birthday on a day that wasn't your birthday? Yes. So I'm not here to argue the actual birthday of Jesus Christ. What I'm here to talk about is what it is we celebrate on December 25th. Now, it's become a great holiday for families to gather around. I have family coming in from Philadelphia. We have family coming in from Florida. I'll get to see lots of my family tomorrow, and I'm really excited about that. We have an opportunity to give and to sow in each other's lives as we give gifts to one another and spend time eating food and playing games and spending lots of fun time together. I have a large family. There's seven children in my family, and all of them are married, and half of them have kids, so it's a lot of people to gather together. Most of them have kids. And I'm really excited about that, but we need to remember what it is that we celebrate. So it is the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. Well, why was Jesus born in the first place? It, don't, don't be shy. Why was Jesus born? That, yep. What was, what, what was, why was Jesus born in the first place? To save us. Okay, you're, you're right on track. Go to John 3 and verse 16. Most people know this verse. It's plastered across a lot of sports stadiums all over the world. People have it tattooed and bumper stickered. They have hats and shirts. It's probably the most commercialized verse in all of the word. Unbelievers know this verse. <laughs> John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him and is not condemned, excuse me, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned, because he has, because he has not believed in the name of God God's one and only Son. So God so what? This great and amazing act by our Father 
was an act of love. See, we were created to spend eternity with God. Now, I believe that the Garden of Eden was supposed to be a place where we fellowshiped with the Father. God made a creation. The creation was called mankind. And he made mankind in his image. See, God is pretty good at making things. He made the planet and the stars. He spoke wildlife and agriculture into existence plants and animals and birds that fly and fish that swim. We discover new species of God's creation every year. But when God made man, he didn't just speak it into existence. He breathed his very essence of life into man. If you remember in Genesis, it said he formed man out of clay and he breathed life into him. See, when he, God made light, he said, light be. When he, when he made the earth, he spoke out of his mouth into creation, but with us, he didn't speak life into us. He breathed his very essence into us, which is and it was and is our current life force. Your spirit is meant to be in fellowship with him. This is why you have people constantly seeking gratification. They spend their whole lives trying to find a career, trying to find a substance, trying to find a substitute for the thing that they were designed to be in fellowship with in the first place. We were created to be in Him, in fellowship with the Father. As we know, sin came through the one man, Adam, and the fall, and then the law, and then righteousness, and all these things happened, but God sent Jesus to rectify the wrong that had been done. The Word says that through one man's sin, man fell, but through one man's act, we would be redeemed. So God sent Jesus because he so loved. When it says the world, it's not talking about the globe. God didn't redeem the trees. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die for the trees. He didn't die for the water. He didn't die for Mother Nature. He didn't die for the seasons. He died for us. God loved us so much that he took his one and only son, and sent him to earth. And he was born, I liked how Elijah was telling it last week, he was born in a manger in swaddling cloth. He was born in a stable where no one knew him. And he grew and he lived. He fulfilled the law. He lived righteously. He deserved to go to heaven. He deserved all the goodness that he had, but he took what we deserved instead and he died on the cross. See, Christmas is, is, I know it's cliche to say that, but it's a season of love, not, not the Hallmark kind of love, not the I love the way you make me feel kind of love, not the if you love me eternally, I'll love you eternally kind of love, but an unconditional, sustainable love. The Word says that God is love. I want to take you to this passage in 1 John chapter 4, and I want you to put, this, put your eyes on this. When, uh, back in 2007, 2008, right before I met Becky, a couple years before, I began to really study out what love, true love, is supposed to be. Now, I haven't received all the revelation. I'm believing the Lord to give me more. But I got a hold of this, and I began to read and meditate on this, and I encourage you to do the same. But 1 John 4, starting in verse 7, 
Um, if you guys have it, um, say I have it. I'm reading from the New King James. And we'll go probably to about verse 19 or so here. It said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Say, God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that he might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, there's a big word for you, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Seeing, uh, No one has seen God at any time if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as, as, as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known, and excuse me, and we have known and beloved and believed the love that God has for us God is love and he who abides in love abides in and God he who abides in oh my he who abides in love abides in God and God in him say that five times fast <laughs> we got there love has been perfected among us in this that we may ha- that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because he is so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not, be- has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. I'll sum that verse up to you in what I have seen in this. God is love. God does not have love. Okay? Okay? God does not have love. God is love. You know, we hear this term, I think I'm in love. Okay. Define that for me. You're swimming in it? You, you're infatuated with someone, a boy or a girl? Now, there is love between mankind. We, we see that in this verse that we're supposed to love one another the way that Christ loved us. But people seem to fall in and out of love pretty willy-nilly these days. See, God does not have love. God is not in love. God is love. See, we wouldn't have the word love if we didn't have God. In fact, the only reason why we know love is because we know God. The, The world's version of love is a manipulative, conditional thing. I will love you as long as you love me. I will love you as long as you continue to make me feel emotionally stable. I love you because I feel good when I'm around you. They're talking about the emotion of love. See, I I want to separate the word love from our understanding of what emotional love is. See, God's kind of love is actually powerful. It's filled with peace. It's filled with hope. It's filled with joy. So, so you could say Christmas is the season 
of hope. It's a season of joy. It's a season of, of thankfulness. All of those things abide in love. God so genuinely loved us with his every being. This is what I'm saying. God is not in love with us. He loved us with who he is because he is love. Does that make sense? He's not infatuated of, uh, over us emotionally. He's invested in us personally because he created us to be in his image. And he cared so deeply for us, not the world's version of care when it was weight and it's heavy, but he genuinely loves us with everything that he, he is because he is love, that he desired to have a personal and intimate relationship with us. Sin was in the way. God didn't send Jesus because he hated sin. He sent Jesus because he loves you and sin was in the way. See, sin wasn't on his mind when he sent Jesus. You were. It wasn't the unrighteousness he saw in the world that he hated so much he sent Jesus. It was that. I'm not saying he didn't care about it. He did care about it. But he wasn't motivated by his hatred or his distaste for the things that were ugly. He was motivated by his genuine love and desire for us, for you. That he sent his only son to live and to die for us, so that we now can have direct access to him. You have an opportunity. The Holy Spirit lives inside you now. That's what we were just reading. Do you know that before Jesus, the Holy Spirit wasn't, wasn't sent out on the common man? The Holy Spirit would come upon three people in the Old Testament, the king, the prophet, and the priest. And it, he didn't even live inside them. He would come upon them. But now, since Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit descended and lives inside of every single one of us. The very Spirit of God. If you read back in Genesis, it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the earth and when God spoke, I believe the Holy Spirit is what brought forth. It was the manifestation of the words of God. The word says that the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of you. He lives in us. In, in this, what, what we have now is what God desired when he sent Jesus. It was not an afterthought. Does that make sense? What we have now, the Holy Spirit living in us, is what God desired. It was his heart when he sent Jesus to die. He loved us so much, he, wanted, he didn't want to just know about us, he wanted to know us. He wanted to know us and be in relationship with us. Love did what love does, true love. It gave. God could have continued on with the covenant he had. It wasn't a bad covenant. God doesn't do bad things. He doesn't write bad laws. He could have. If you lived by the covenant, you could be righteous. You could live by the law and become righteous. It wasn't a bad thing. But he desired a better thing for us. He desired a more intimate relationship with us. And he wanted to take care of it so we wouldn't have to worry about it. All we'd have to worry about is sitting and resting and abiding with him. And he would take care of the rest. So when I think about what Christmas means, I, 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 obviously you're going to think about the birth and, the, and the, the life and the death of Jesus and his ministry. But I, I think about the heart of God in this whole situation. It was, it was an act of love. It was an act of love. 
And it's really funny because it's easy to get caught up in the frustrations of the holidays. I know that it's supposed to be this amazing, wonderful time, but as a parent, sometimes it's not. <laughs> sometimes it's stressful. As a human, sometimes it's stressful. It's just, <laughs> I heard an amen, <laughs> Franny. <laughs> that was out loud. That was your outside voice, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> it's easy to get caught up in those things, and, and it's easy to feel frustration. Maybe you're trying to find a gift, and, it's, and it's, you can't find it anywhere. Or maybe you wanted something, and you got something else, and it's easier to get caught up. In those. And again, I have nothing, there's nothing wrong. I'm speaking nothing ill will against giving gifts. We serve a giver God. It is in our nature to be giving. But, but oftentimes in those moments of stress, you should just take a minute and say, Lord, I just want to thank you for how much you loved me. We are celebrating what you did when you sent Jesus Christ to come to earth so that we could have a personal relationship. You know, God did this unconditionally because he, the, 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 he doesn't require anything from us if we don't want to give it. Does that make sense? It's, it's what is required of us if we do accept it is just to surrender. To surrender control, to surrender our plans, to just let him do what it is he wants to do. He is God after all. Sometimes I think it's good for us to remind ourselves of that. He definitely, say this, say God, God is smarter, is smarter than, I than I am. Say God, God is smarter, is smarter than, I am. than I am. One more time, say God, God is smarter than I am. And he is. It's good for us to remind ourselves of these things. It's very good and helpful to remind ourselves of these things. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read about how God defines love. I know that most of you have read this chapter and verse. Um, Becky and I use this all the time when we do marriage counseling, but it's it's a good verse for you to remind yourself of and to know. Because it's easy to get caught up. Like I said, I, I, don't, I don't have anything wrong with you watching Hallmark movies. I don't enjoy them myself. Um, sometimes it's not the best depiction of God's love. It's a great depiction of people being in love, but it's not uh, always, okay? I'm not, okay, everyone, don't shoot daggers, Grace. I can see you looking at me. It's not always the best example of what God kind of love is, all right? And usually God doesn't involve someone having cancer and someone's farm getting burned down and having to some city girl going... Anyways, I've never seen any of the movies ever, I promise. <laughs> That's a lie. Okay, so uh, in my Bible, the, the preface to this chapter is called The Greatest Gift. And I think that that's very true. So let's read together, starting in verse 1. This is 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to read probably all of this chapter. I might stop here or there. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So the first, per, the first part of this chapter is painting a pretty interesting picture. I, I want you to actually think about this with me, if you will. What would it look like to be able to speak with the tongues of men and angels? In Amplified, it says, 
every known tongue and every unknown tongue. That means you had the ability to communicate. There's a couple hundred thousand different languages on earth. Plus, did you know that spirit beings don't speak human languages? I know we're getting into some deep stuff, but it's true. If you don't believe me, look in the word. So you could speak and communicate with every human on earth and with angels. Can anyone do that that you know of? If you met someone like that, you would think, wow, that's a pretty interesting person. That's kind of awesome that they can do that. You might put someone like this up on a pedestal. How, how, about, how about someone that had such great faith that you watched them say to a mountain, like you were standing next to them and they said, be removed and be cast into the sea, and the mountain actually did it. You would think that's some person right there. That's some ability. What if, what if they were such a giver that everything that they had, they constantly gave to the poor? Their city had no more poor in it because they gave and gave and gave, and they even gave themselves up to be burned. You would think that is a selfless, giving person. But the word says here, if they don't have love, it's nothing. So what we have here is a scale of importance. Okay? What is important to God? He's not saying those things are bad. He's not saying those things are not important. It's good to have faith. It's good to be a giver. Right? But what he's saying is, in the scale of what I consider important, love, God's kind of love, is the most important thing. Not your abilities, not your servitude, not your giving, not your faith. It's love that he finds most important. Let's keep reading. He then begins to de define what his kind of love is, starting in verse 4. Love suffers long. We're off to a good start. <laughs> love, who likes to suffer long? No one raised their hand. No one wants to suffer. You're right. No one wants to do that. But God says that love suffers long. It is kind. Love does not envy. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. Think about that. It thinks no evil. I'll just let that lie there. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love this kind of love never fails. In Amplified, it says that it believes no ill report about anyone else. That it thinks the best of everyone around them. Did you know that you can make people better around you by having the God kind of love inside you? Listen to me. Even if they don't behave at their best because it's behaved around you through the filter of God's love within you, you'll take no offense to it. I'm not saying stay in abusive situations. I'm saying because God's love is in and operating in your life because of Jesus Christ coming and descending and dying for you and the Holy Spirit being put upon us, we have the opportunity to walk and live in perfect love. Verse 8, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. 
When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love, is God's kind of love. You could actually read this chapter and replace the word love with the word God. They're synonymous. I think words are important. This is why if you were one of my children and you said, I love pizza, do you know what I say? You don't love pizza. I said, we love people and we love God. We don't love things. See, we, we've demeaned the value of the word love because we don't know what it means or we haven't gained revelation. Well, that's why we're here today, right? God is love. God is love. He doesn't have love. He is not in love. He is love. And because it exudes out of his very being, he wanted to have us, his creation, in personal relationship with, you, with him. So he sent his only son to come to earth to die so that we could be in constant fellowship with him. And I think that is about the greatest example of love there could ever be, is one who is willing to give the most precious thing that they had for us. When I think about this, think, think about this gift, I think about how many people don't know about this gift. Or how many people have known it and have decided to turn away from it? See, God doesn't ask for much. He just asks us for us. And we make a big deal out of it because we, it doesn't feel good and it's not what I want to do and it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it rubs us the wrong way because we have to sacrifice things and we have to give up stuff that bring us comfort. But see, in, in, in the Father is the most peace you'll ever have. And I've resigned myself to this simple thing. All I want to do in all my life is to be exactly where I'm supposed to be at the exact time I'm supposed to be there doing what I'm supposed to do. That's it. I don't have life goals. I, don't, I, I have visions and things that the Lord has set upon me. I have stuff written down in a journal, but I don't visit those every day. I don't make a five, ten-year plan unless the Lord tells me. All I want to do, because I did that before, it didn't lead me very great places. See, God loves us so much. There's so much, gosh, there's so much that comes with that love, a hope, a future, a plan, a purpose. And, and love is the power behind that. It's the motivation. It's what, it's what drives us from where we are to where we're going. See, see, God has a plan for his love to shine in and through you so that people who come in contact with you would think there's something different about you. Why, why do they have peace in times of trouble? Why do they sound so calm? Why, why, do I want, why do I find myself wanting to be around them all the time? It's because of love. Because God is love. And when he abides in you, as it says in 1 John 4, 4 his love abides in you. It actually, it actually in, in 1 John 4, it actually makes it a defining factor of what it means to be a believer. He said you actually can't know God if you don't know love. If you're not operating in love, then you're not operating in him. See, if he rests and abides in your life, you cannot help but exude that love because it's what it saturates our life. 
And God has no more or less love for you now than he ever will. You understand me? What may grow is your revelation of that love. That's what the hope is, is that your revelation of that love grows. So he's not going to love you more than he loves you now. He loves you the, the most he possibly could. He's already shown and proven that to us by what he did with Jesus. But your revelation of that love is what will grow and increase. And I encourage you to seek after what that means. There's a lot of people in ministry. There's a lot of people in life. There's a lot of people who do things who want to seek the gifts of the Holy Spirit, who want to seek ministry, who want to seek these things. And all of those are good and fine. But if you do not have love, they're worthless. He literally says you're just a clanging gong or a bang. You're just making noise. And you might be able to make some noise in your communities and you might be able to help some people's lives, but the example that you will have will be severely diminished if you don't have love. I'll give you one more example and I think we'll get ready to do communion. When I was in Romania, I was reminded of this this week. I shared this testimony with you guys when I, when I first came back. Ben, you can come up. Um, do you guys remember me sharing the testimony of the crippled lady we prayed for? So when we were in this uh, gypsy community with these people called the Roma people, they live in Romania, but they're, they're European gypsies, basically. And some of them live very, very poor. And we visited this shack of this woman who had been paralyzed for two years. The whole left side of her body, she'd had a stroke and she couldn't move. In order to move her arm, she had to use her right arm and lift her arm up. She couldn't walk or do anything. She lived, they were very, very poor. And so they didn't have like full, they had some electricity. I'm not sure if they had running water. But she had two teenage kids and she was, she was crying and saying, I, I've been asking God to help me because I have two kids that I can't provide for. I mean, those of you who are moms in this house, imagine being bedridden and your children having to care for you. It's not very rewarding in life. And I, uh, we were told about her when we visited this village and said, she, she wants to come to the, guy, the meeting that you're having, the presentation, but she can't walk. Could you come visit her? So we went, a small team of us went after and um, I laid hands on her and prayed for her, and we said, okay, let's, let's try to walk. And at first she was nervous, and we kind of helped her across the room, and she began to cry and whine and say, I'm uncomfortable, uncomfortable, put me back, put me back. And so they began to walk back to the cot where she was laying, and she stopped, and she began to freak out in a good way. And she moved her leg underneath her own power for the first time in two years. And she said, I want to walk again. I want to walk in. So she walked back and forth across the room with aid of, of her son and the interpreter we had. And then she sat on the bed and she began to talk. And we had brought food with us. And one of the complaints was that she couldn't provide for her family. And this bag of food, we went to hand it to her. And that left hand, I watched it open up. It was shriveled before. The left hand opened up and she was able to grab that food and begin to take that food out of that bag to prepare it for her children. And she said, I, I was believing for this my whole life. Or excuse me, I've been believing for this for two years because I want to be able to take care of my family. And I shared that story, and it was, it was one of the most amazing things that I've ever been able to, to be a part of, one of the amazing miracles that happened when on this trip. And I had someone ask me, he said, what did that feel like? I said, well, what do you mean? He said, when you prayed for them, before you laid hands on her, what did that feel like? Did you have some great wind of faith come up? Did you feel power or electricity? Some people have said when they lay hands on people, they feel something. He said, what did you feel? And I said, I hadn't really thought about that. I don't think I felt anything. And the Lord said, in my spirit, he said, you felt something. So I said, well, hang on a second. I was talking to my friend on the phone. I leaned back in my chair and I closed my eyes and I said, Lord, what did I feel? And he took me back to the bus ride to the village. 
and John's wife, Martine, had said, we're going to see some people that are very, very poor. And when you get there, I don't, they don't need your sympathy. They need your compassion. She said, don't, don't sympathize. Don't feel bad for them. Love them. And so right there on the bus, we prayed that God would give us love for these people. And so sitting in my chair when I was talking to my friend on what it was I felt before I laid hands on her. And the Lord said, what you felt is how I feel for her. Love. And so when I laid hands on her, that's all that I remember. I remember walking across that room and I kneeled down on one knee. She was sitting and she was laying in her, she kind of sat up in her bed. And I put my hand on her shoulder and I held her other hand and I began to pray. And all that I could feel inside was just that I loved her. I didn't feel electricity go through my hands. I didn't feel a move of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong when those things happen. Those things can and do happen when you lay, lay hands on people. But all I felt was love. And it was a small glimpse of God's love for her. This has happened a couple other times in my life. Um, most of you know my sister-in-law, Catherine, and she's told her testimony before when when she was coming back to the Lord, I was able to I was able to be used as, of the Lord in a similar way. We were at a Bible study at Jenna's house, and uh, she'd asked for prayer. And as I stood up to go walk to go pray for her, the Lord said to me, "I want you to hug her when you get there." And He said, "I'm going to allow you to sense a fraction of how much I love her." So when I walked over to her, I said, "Hey, give." I I, I knelt down. On the chair that she was sitting, I prayed for her. I can't tell you what I said. I stood up and I gave her a hug. And the love of the Lord for her fell upon me and went through me into her. And she started crying and bawling. And from that day forward, her life was completely changed. All the stuff that she was going through had completely ended and completely gone away. And it wasn't because I have this great anointing. It wasn't because I have these great abilities. It was simply because of God's love. We haven't even begun to experience the full power of what that love looks like. But when we operate in our lives, whether it's through our work, with our family, I know that this time can be stressful because we love our family, but also they can drive us crazy. We, we enjoy being around them, but sometimes there's that brother-in-law, that uncle who always wants to bring things up that are political or someone always has a disagreement or someone's sister-in-law says something or does something. I understand. Kids don't get along. People get upset. But all of that dramatically diminishes. If before you walk in as a family, get together and hold hands and pray, Lord, please show us and give us your love. So that as we walk in and spend time with our families and friends, what we can exude is your love and your peace. And then we can have a great Christmas time. There'll be no asterisks. You know how many Christmases I've had in my life? That was a good time, but. You know how many conversations I've had with my wife driving away? We had such a good time, but. I've always enjoyed this, but. There shouldn't be an asterisk. Because if we truly live and operate in God's love, there's nothing that people can do that can hurt you. There's nothing that people can say that will offend you. There's nothing that people can, can do or say or give or not give that will bring offense because we're operating in his love. Amen? 
Hey, thanks for listening to the Tanny Love Church podcast. For more information about us, visit us online at www.tannylovechurch.com. And you can also check us out on social media, on Instagram and Facebook.